Hello and welcome to the very 99th and three quarters podcast of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games. And we have got a show for you today. My name is Matt Lees and I'm joined by Quentin Smith. Hello, Matt Lees. And we are also joined once again by our current intern, Mr. Ben. Hello. <laughs> <It's> not... <laughs> for people familiar with the cartoon show Mr. Ben, it's about a nice middle-aged man who goes on adventures when he puts on costumes. I am not Mr. Ben. What? That's I... not you? No. Matt, um... Matt we talked about Is this. that why every time we see you, you're not wearing outlandish costumes and going into cupboards and having uh, whimsical adventures? I mean, to be fair, Matt, the last time I was at your house, I did put on a costume and get in a cupboard yeah. and have a whimsical adventure. That's so... why I did it. I thought that was where you were comfortable. <laughs> if you've not seen Matt's Comet video, then uh, yeah, guess what? That's Ben. Ben, you're a star now. I am. Thank you very ben, much. Ben, I feel like me putting you in a cupboard has been suddenly seems quite inappropriate in the context of this new information. <laughs> it, 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 you could see the tribunal calling it bullying, couldn't you? Yeah, I can hear them as well. Let's do a podcast. Okay, the board games we're going to be talking about on this 99 and 3 quarters podcast, which we should explain if you missed last episode, uh, we're going to save episode 100 for uh, Shucks, the Shut Up and Sit Down convention. Tickets on sale now. Yeah, it's like the podcast equivalent of a purity ring. We're just going to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, it'll be awful if we have... What fraction are we going to use if we have to do another podcast between now and then? An annoying one, like 0.95 or something. Okay, the games we're going to be talking about on this 99 and 3 quarters podcast are Undo, a new series of board games that can only be played once about saving lives. We're going to be playing Super Motherload, a game about digging for gems in a video game style. We're going to be talking about Rob Davio's Ship Shape, a game of your ship having holes in and mostly swearing uh, and your ship leaking. Matt, you have been playing, uh, it says here, you have played 50 hours of Gloomhaven recently. Yeah, in about a week. I kind of had a, in retrospect, it may have been an episode, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but it was a lot of fun. Well, we're going to find out how that went for Matt. Uh, We are going to talk about Cerberus, a game about running away from uh, Cerberus, the mythical... uh, Famous big dog. The mythical protector of hell, yeah. It's a game about trying to get out of the underworld before Cerberus catches you, or working for Cerberus to catch your friends. Uh, And we're going to be talking a little bit about Lords of Hellas, which made quite a stir a couple of years ago, but we are fashionably late. Matt Mm. has some thoughts. Mm. There's a statue which you can build out Mm. of plastic pieces. Lots to look forward to. But to begin with, we're going to talk about something you can't look forward to that much, which is Undo. So Undo is a card game that is kind of played through once, as Quinn said. It's sort of in the style of uh, Unlock, if you've played that. Unlock is a deck of cards that mimics being an escape room. Undo instead is a deck of cards that mimics someone's entire life. So you start with, you're just there with a body, which is a strange way to start, and then you'll see a series of different points, presumably linked to that person's life, that you can then jump back to. So you put some time juice in the time engine doesn't say what the time juice is either and you will go back to different points in that person's life at your choosing you can choose about three quarters of them at each one you'll be presented with a choice of how you're going to interfere for want of a better word with that person's life so that might be going oh well the person died because they had a heart attack so maybe making sure they have less salt in their diet will make things better or maybe asking them to reconnect with their son is going to be better for them and then you'll find out whether you've made their life better and 
the death less likely or you've made it worse and the death more likely. You should have just run away from more of your family and eaten a lot more salt. It, you know, sometimes that kind of thing uh, happens and you just have to figure out how these darn pieces fit together. Huh. Uh, How does that mechanically work? Well, uh, the way it works is you lay out a deck of cards, which is a timeline. Uh, All of these cards have uh, dates and locations printed on them. So it might be like uh, that first card where you found a woman's body. She was found dead uh, outside of a six-story hotel. Uh, She has a smiling expression on her face. Oh, it's very mysterious. Um, You can then jump back to, for example, 20 years earlier in Berlin or 40 years earlier in Dusseldorf. So on the card, will it literally say you can go back to this card or this card? Yeah, well, no. So you get about 12 of them and you get nine cards you can go to. So you have to pick the nine that you think are going to be the most salient. But Ah. all you get told is a time and a place and... Yeah, so some of them are from an hour before the person died. Uh, in one of them, they go back a few thousand years. Yes, that's the fun thing. The wom- This woman has been dead. Do you want to jump back to 4000 BC? And you're like, how will this be relevant? And so part of the game is discussing something like which page of this person's life you want to flip back to. And also trying to, as quickly as possible, figure out how and why they died. Because otherwise, you're essentially answering multiple choice questions almost entirely randomly. Hmm... It's all right. It is fine. It's okay. You get... It's very much a mystery... It's a mystery game, obviously, but it doesn't even tell you what the mystery is, right? It's not Mm. saying, okay, you need to work out who was there at the time. It doesn't tell you any of that. It just says, this person's dead. Why are they dead? What would help solve that problem? How are you going to deal with that? Mm. There's some... uh, I don't know. It's... One of the reasons it's interesting as a puzzle is that most puzzles are designed to have like a starting point, whereas this is very much you can go to any point and then depending on what you answer a particular question, like for example, you jump back to a pharmacy and the uh, a woman, you might not even know if it's the woman who died later, is asking for pills. Do you encourage the pharmacist to give her antidepressants or, uh, you know, or uh, like vitamin tablets or yeah. something a bit stronger, like sleeping pills? <laughs> And also, the courage. How do you encourage? You just, well, Matthew. This okay. Is, well, so the game at no point explains who you are, what you're doing. This might be a good point <laughs> to stress that sometimes we find that German games tend to go a little light on storytelling and aesthetics. This is a uh, a Pegasus Spieler, you know, a German company who uh, are very disinterested in who you are. I mean, Ben and I immediately started joking about being like time cops, except as time cops for a start, and with not wanting to take one of the best jokes you wrote out of your review, Ben. But, like, why are we trying to save a 70-year-old woman? Especially when jumping back into the past. Sometimes we are killing tremendously important historical figures to change the timeline to save this woman. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And and in answer to your question... every life matters. But not maybe this one as much. No. It's kind of like, oh, well, that person 2,000 years ago would be dead now anyway, so it's fine to go back and kill them. But this woman today is dead, and sure, she's in her 80s, but, you know, we should save her. But when you're encouraging the pharmacist to give someone, you know, like sleeping pills, the game in no... It, it says, which of these things do you want to do? And then you flip a card and it will either be like plus two, which is great. You, def- you, you saved that woman's life to the tune of plus two, or it could be minus two. But it doesn't say what your character... Or who... Why? It doesn't say who, why, what, when. Like, none of these the questions are answered. It's insane. Yeah, that sounds bonkers. It is pretty bonkers. Sounds like an abstraction of a story. And I would say that if you know someone who, you know, owns a copy of Undo, I would borrow it because it's kind of curious. There's nothing about it that's enormously uh, sort of inventive or thought-provoking. There's nothing that it does exceptionally well. But I 
had a good time playing <laughs> one of the three. There's a, there's I like the idea of, of just convincing a chemist, being like, hey, just popping in, giving a tap on the shoulder. Yeah, I know they've been prescribed this, but you should give them some vitamins instead. <laughs> I mean, they get more ridiculous. Sometimes it's like, hey, be less of a jerk to your kids. Like, they, they don't... Why? It doesn't it, make any sense. It, 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 Is it like Quantum Leap, maybe, do you think? Well, we were talking about that. There's Quantum Leap bits of it. I imagine that you jump back in time to... But it never describes you being someone. I always imagine you as like a shadowy figure. If we were doing a video review, I would have a lot of fun doing the skits for it because it would always be someone walking out from like stage left in a trench coat going, hello, you don't know who I am, but a woman is going to come through here and you should be a total dick to her. I mean, you should just be so mean. Maybe it's like ghost trick. Uh, very, very. It's actually, oh, there's a deep cut for our audience. Well, uh, yeah, Ghost Trick is it's probably one of, in my mind, one of the best video games ever made. Uh, you can get it on the iPad actually these days, and it's a it's a story based puzzle game in which you are a ghost who can manipulate objects, and you can always travel back in time to basically a few minutes before someone dies. It's it's fantastic, and it's it really has one of these like final third acts of the game which is just sublime and there's nothing quite like it but um yeah maybe it's the old lady maybe the old lady is traveling back through time possessing people like a ghost in answer just think about it these questions matt as to whether it's more ghost trick or quantum leap you are exhibiting more of an interest in the storytelling of this game than the designers ever did oh gosh ben any any final thoughts you you want to give to people around the world about undo I guess the main thing is yeah if it's it's certainly a curiosity and if you want to give it a go i don't think everyone i've played it with played one and said i don't want to play the other two which is probably except me except where you're an anomaly i played two and then went i don't want to play the third yeah there you go so yeah (laughs) i've played i've played all three so yeah super mother load is a game which came out about five or six years ago maybe more it's been in my pile of things to look out for forever it slipped down slipped away fell into the back cupboard of obscurity until recently where basically i realized hang on a minute that's published by roxy games roxy games of course are the people who made uh brass birmingham uh working with martin wallace and who gave a new lease of love and life to brass uh what's known as lancashire i presume just a mm. classic brass um and yeah i thought i'm gonna look at this i looked at it um it had a reprinting last year it's quite fun yeah um it's not so strong that it's like great but the way it works is it's literally based on a video game i think i think a video game and the board game came out roughly around the same time Mm -hmm. i think i haven't researched it so don't take anything i say in that regard as accurate but if you've ever played a video game which involves you digging down through the ground and collecting gems and sometimes maybe oh no i've hit a rock and i can't get through that rock because i need a, a better drill or something I love those games. I'm thinking of, I think, SteamWorld Dig. SteamWorld Dig is uh, still fantastic. And is one of the best in the genre for that, of being like, I've made money and I can spend my money on being better at digging holes. And just going down and finding big gems and it making a nice noise as things explode and getting that nice feedback loop in your head of going, oh, collecting money things. The problem is board games can't do that. Um, So Super Mother Load is really interesting because it's like, what happens when you try and take... Um, the mechanics of a basically quite solitary game format, which is heavily based on surprise and getting little boosts of serotonin in your brain when you collect loads of gems and having the excitement of going back and spending all that money on more things so you can keep going down endlessly. In fact, there was an ancient game called Miner Dig Deep, which is a super deep cut for anyone who had an Xbox 360 and fond memories of the indie game store from a long time ago. Oh, yes. It was uh, basically an infinite 
mining game that was incredibly budget, but amazing, really addictive. Loved mm-hmm. it. Anyway, what this does effectively is it means that you have a hand of cards, and on your turn you play cards that have matching colours of drills. And there's like three colours of drills, and then maybe a wild set. And if you play three blue drills, it means you can drill down three blocks in a direction. It has to be one direction, like a line. But there's no rules like you can... You can drill upwards, you can drill sideways, as long as it's connected to a network of basically tunnels that have already been drilled, you can do it. The thing is, though, you both share, like all players share this same network, which means you're basically digging down and the next player is going to be continuing along those those lines. So there's definitely, and I've only played this with two, but there's definitely a strategic element of thinking, well, I don't want to push that that tunnel any further because... Afterwards, it gets super juicy, and I want somebody else to push that so I can try and get all that stuff. And then there's some interesting bits, like you have specific bits that can only be drilled through with red drills or blue drills, and you have specific things which can be blown up with bombs. And you have cards that make you good at doing bombs. Where it gets interesting, and there are some interesting things about this, is the fact that each player has a deck of cards, which you start with, but it's a deck-building game with a kind of... uh, an upgrade mechanic. So the way it works is you start off with like seven or eight cards and that's your hand that you, well, that's your deck that you draw from. And then when you get to the end, you will recycle it by shuffling it up and drawing again for those you've not played a deck builder game. But you can buy better cards to add to your deck. And every time you buy a better card for your deck, it does an instant bonus thing, which is quite useful. And the key thing is the money you make from dr- from digging into these things and collecting these gems, you take those gems and you immediately put them on one of the four different shops that you can go to. Now, these shops in themselves are shops you dig down, which is quite a nice little touch of being like, you if you want to get all of one type, then you have to just buy them in order and add them to your deck. But it means you don't have that thing of just collecting loads of money and then going, hmm, what am I going to buy? You have to then just put it on the one that you want to. And when you buy a power, when you buy a new card, you don't get change, which means like sometimes you get a really big, like, this gem's worth $10 but you're like, where do you want to put it? Because, yeah, you don't get change, which means you might just think, screw it, I'm going to lose I'm going to lose a bit of money here because I need that card ASAP. Or you might think, okay, I'm going to get this card that I don't really want as much. It's interesting, and it means it keeps it quite pacey because it means you don't have people not knowing what to do. you just, you got to do it. Put it down. Also, it's something you can work out when other players are taking their turns. You can be like, I'll put that on there and that on there. And then when things pop, you just get the card. Yeah, you dig down through a panel and then when you get to the bottom of it, you add another layer and then you add another layer and basically it just, it means that you shift it along when you're two, two boards down, the first board disappears and you slide it along. So it gives the, the feeling of digging deeper and deeper and getting better things It sounds like a up. really nice piece of design. You know, it's actually, it's solid. Like it was fun and I really had some lovely art. Each of the four different kind of playable decks have... Uh, Unique art for the four different types of characters that you can have multiples of. And some of the stuff in there is really wacky. Like some of them are just like kind of like it has that traditional kind of uh, futuristic kind of some of them are kind of like futuristic cowboys. Some of them are kind of futuristic Russians. Um, there's one which is like a dog in an astronaut suit, an actual demon and what appeared to be a Nazi bird, which I wasn't <laughs> sure about. I didn't have any it's squ- a classic combo. I was like, yeah, the guy I was playing was like, is that? Is that a Nazi? Is this a Nazi bird? And we're like, yeah, it looks like it is. I'm not really sure how I feel about that. So it's an odd setting, but the art is genuinely quite gorgeous. And it's a solid little thing. The interesting thing, though, is it kind of doesn't get 
to be great for a couple of really interesting reasons that are actually to do with video games. Okay. And that firstly is the fact that really that synapse pop that you get from collecting a gem and get from unlocking a new thing just isn't in board games and you need to satisfy people in different ways. So actually mm. just, just drilling down and then collecting gems doesn't feel as exciting as it would. And the other thing is that a lot of the points you score in the game are based on a achievement system, which is just a constantly cycling. There are three major achievements in the game and like you can get them by scoring that. Then there are minor achievements, which unbelievably, again, this is pointed out by Clark, friend of the show who's appeared on some stuff, they missed the opportunity for it to be spelt minor like mining, which yeah, is, yeah. <laughs> I don't, it's just such an open goal. But those keep cycling in and those are worth a lot of points. But, Again, it's like if you're playing a video game and there's an achievement which is like do this five times in in one turn, when you've done three of them, it'll pop up going, hey, you've only got to do this two more times and you're going to get this achievement. You think, oh. But in a board game, you, it doesn't and you forget. And so really a lot of the game was not about this excitement of digging down and collecting gems. It was about keeping an eye on this list of objectives oh, that, that was constantly cycling. And it's just interesting how it's like what they've done is they've taken wholesale a video game style design, made it into a board game, it's solid, it's quite fun, but it's also a really interesting look at how if you do that and you just take video game mechanics and turn them into card games and board games, a lot of it just doesn't translate. A lot of it you should just leave to one side. You know what's really interesting about this is Simon has just announced their like flagship tech board game technology thing that's coming out this year. It's called Taboru, which I think is a riff on like the Japanese pronunciation of table but it's a mat you're going to put under their board games that work with it and then the mat will read what's happening in the board game everyone will have an app on their phone that means the game you're playing can beam information straight to your app and like essentially it's it's a, a board game that will be read by you know what this isn't the point i was trying to make there's a bunch of complicated stuff that simon are trying to do statistically speaking it's it's advanced technology that probably won't be adopted and probably won't work i say that as someone who's been a games journalist for, for too many decades that like this statistic doesn't usually work however my god a simple thing it could do in this exact example if you've got super mother load on the tape room whenever someone picks up a crystal if there's just a delicious pop noise just picking something you know, off the that board is an interesting uh point but I'd actually counter that by being like, you don't need that. And actually, it's a, a game which I believe a review... Oh, yeah, it will be up on the website by now. Um, Silk. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I'll maybe talk about a bit later. But one of the things about that is um, that it has creatures eating things. You've got little worms eating patches of grass and you've got monsters stealing away worms and hiding them in its lair to maybe eat them later. And it's implied that they're not being eaten then. But every time I played it, everyone just makes sound effects. And I think that's the really mm -hmm. key thing is if you've got it right, if you've got the mechanic right, you don't need... Um, to have a sound effect because people will either make it out loud or make it in their head. Like actually the Sonic Crash Team racing thing, which again, I'll talk about either on this podcast or a podcast at some point. You know, every time you get a ring, you hear a ring noise. Every time you go over a spring, because you, you, everyone knows if you've played Sonic the Hedgehog, you know the noises. And they've made a game which actually is evocative in terms of what Sonic the Hedgehog should feel like that you just hear the noises or you make the noises. The game Tobago, which I don't know if you've played or oh, not, yeah, but it's sure. about finding treasure on an island. Um, at various points, the giant stone heads on the island turn and the rule book says it's mandatory that you make a <laughs> noise. <laughs> and that, that fixes the problem rather nicely. You know, I think another thing that fixes the problem is this is why poker has big weighted chips. Like, if mm. you make a component that's actually weighted, I know the crystals yeah. you're talking about, Matt, because games always include plastic crystals. There's a new Bruno Cathala game called uh, Gardens of Ishtar or Ishtar, Ishtar, that has those plastic crystals. And I, I've touched them so many times and I know they're always used as rewards and they're always, they, it always feels crap to pick them up. Mm, they look nice. I mean, I almost bought 
the original brass just because I was like, it's got metal money. I want it. Mm. That's you feel like you've earned money because you get the little jingle of money. Yeah, so it just goes to show. I think getting the only way that those little plastic crystals are good as a reward is if you get a handful of them that you then pour into a little box because that's yep. satisfying. See, now we're thinking with gas, but mm. yeah, no, that's so that was a super mother load, I guess. What do you say, Matt? If you see it for cheap in a in a some kind of math trade or something, maybe it's grab interesting. It? It's quite fun. Um, I enjoyed it. I had a nice time with it. It was a really pleasant little game. It wasn't exciting um, to a massive degree, but it was one of those really satisfying little things. Okay, well, um, sadly, along the same lines uh, as something that did impress us, but maybe not that much, uh, Ben and I played Ship Shape. So this is a game from Rob Davio, who you might know as the the uh, brain man, that's not a term, behind Risk Legacy and Pandemic Legacy. Um, Ship Shape is a game where all players are going to be sort of smuggling booty in their holds. Every player is given a ship hold, which is a three by three grid. The ship hold contains little rats on uh, some of the nine squares. Players then sort of have to try and win an auction, but this is a bit tricky. You essentially have to play a card and you never know quite where you'll land in the auction to get lots. And the lots are three-dimensional, again, three-by-three grids, which have some squares in them. So imagine, like, if you've bought a board game before, imagine a piece of punch board that isn't fully punched out. That then goes on top of your hold. And you're going to do this, what, is it six times? Uh, You do it Three times per round. Yes. Three rounds. Okay, yes. So ideally, once you've done this correctly, you will draft or win a series of holds, which when you view your hold from above, the three by three grid... No rats? uh, ...has no rats, but also these things you're drafting have things like cannons, gold, contraband... But ultimately, you're going to take them, hopefully not covering up all the good stuff you got before, building this lovely, entirely 3D sort of cube of goods, which you will then view from above and see what you can see in your 3x3 grid. Did that make any sense? That was one of the hardest things to explain. No, that made perfect sense to me. Okay, good. It's one of those things where you very much need to see it. And we played with five. I think it goes up to six. And what's really interesting about it is that... The rules say you have this huge stack of 15 crates, right? So if each of the five players are going to get three crates per round. You're, the rules specifically states you're allowed to stand up to look at what's coming, but you're not allowed to change where you're sat. So every player can see slightly differently what's coming up because obviously any of like the nine squares can have something on it, which means it will obscure anything beneath it, which means if there's nothing on, say, square four for three ones down you can sort of see what's coming which is where the bidding mechanic comes in yes. in that you can very clearly see what the top one is you can kind of see what the second one is and so on and so forth when you got five you've no idea what number four and five looks like so you don't even know it might be the absolute thing you want but you don't know it so it's you're kind of bidding for an unknown quantity because you don't know how much you want it or how much anyone else wants anything else and you know that actually worked really well this is just a light party game but all players have is a hand of pirates listed one to nine you all put one in reveal duplicates are discarded and then that determines who goes first essentially so there's this curious auction which i've not really seen done before where everybody knows what the first tile is if you win everyone knows exactly what you're getting second you can maybe see a bit of it third nothing and then everything beyond that is just a complete mystery but sometimes that's what you want if you don't like any of the top three you're like yeah i'll just take a punt on whatever's coming last (laughs) i suppose you get to orient it as well because it's a square right yeah so you can um there's three of these spaces are covered but you can flip the tile and you can orientate it however you like so you get a, a bonus if you cover all nine squares so you basically have to do things perfectly because you'll get three 
yes. crates that cover three squares, so you have to kind of match them up perfectly. But then there's fun stuff like uh, the player with the most contraband receives no points for their contraband, but everyone else receives it. So you want the purple contraband squares, but not so many that you have the most. It sounds fun. You know what? It was fun. I think it's safe to say we played it with five. Everyone had fun. And then it was that kind of game where if I bought it just for a fun family Christmas or something, it would have done its job, gone in the box, wouldn't have come off the shelf for maybe another year or two. It's that it was, it was, I think the nicest thing to say about it is it was really smooth. Like there was no friction in our play of it. You know, this might be wrong, but it's not the same sort of thing at all. But it reminds me in terms of the description slightly of Reef. Okay, yes. I mean, it's not the same, but what I'm saying is that like Reef was one of those things where basically it was a puzzle game of trying to carefully build stuff up and cover stuff up and you're always just looking straight down at a thing. But the problem is that game kind of almost got a bit confused by the fact that you were building these towers that you could you could still see the stuff underneath them, but as soon as you covered it up it became immediately irrelevant. Yeah. Um no, ship shape I, is the same thing. Yeah, uh, if it's but in a way that like you, you don't get bamboozled and you can just keep looking down at it and having a fun time. Yeah, I think the easy way to do it is that ship to say it is that ship shape is maybe slightly too smooth and too simple. Like I didn't. It was it was the depressing thing of we finished sort of round one, which is a third of the game, and you built up your hold and you've totaled up the points, and everyone was like, "Oh wow, that was fun." What was round two? Because you get a new player map for each round because the players in the lead get more rats. But what? Every single person we played with thought would happen is, oh, it's round two. What does that introduce? Leaks. Oh, if we haven't covered up the leaks. that No, it's exactly the same thing three times. There is no new mechanic that is introduced, despite the fact the game is structured in three acts, which is a real bummer. But I would say that Ship Shape is too smooth to hold my interest, and then Reef was just too sort of difficult. Um, yeah, no, no. I mean, I, did, I didn't like Reef. It's fine. It, it was more just like, there was something fun about the idea of building something up vertically and looking down and seeing what you've got. It's absolutely gorgeous. You, I mean, I feel like when I was teaching the game, I put them, I set up the game and put this stack of crates down, and I basically could have just gestured at them, and players instantly knew what what you had to do yeah it's yeah. very very yeah. straightforward and it's just because it's not made of cardboard they've actually thickened mm. it with a bit of it's like cardboard sandwiched sandwiching a piece of styrofoam so it really is quite ah. thick and so you you do end up making like quite a, a large little structure in front of you it's lovely to play with um yeah it, I, that's pretty cute it you know as i'm i think i'm it str- sounds like this kind of sounds like something like on the on the bit more of the lighter end that i might get on with more than you maybe maybe Maybe, yeah. Maybe. The crowd we played with are quite gamer heavy and we played a few games that night and everyone, as Quinn said, everyone loved it and then we never mentioned it again the rest of the night. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah uh, absolutely. But if you're interested, even in just looking at a picture or maybe picking it up for family or for Christmas, uh, that's Ship Shape by Rob Davio. Uh, on completely the other end of the spectrum, Matt, how many hours did you spend playing Gloomhaven? So it was like 50 or 60, I think. Okay, um, let's, let's, have a, let's have a moment. This isn't an intervention, but Ben and I... <laughs> We, we are worried about you. <laughs> well, it was there was a really hot patch in the UK um, not long ago. And I know that people who don't live in the UK might be like, all right, we actually deal with proper temperatures where we live. It's not a big deal. But the UK, if you're not familiar with it, is not set up with an infrastructure for temperatures or weather. Um, we can deal with drizzle and that's it. Uh, so we had a heat wave and it just wasn't pleasant to go out. And it certainly, I tried to go to the office and do some like work, work, sitting in front of a computer and it, my brain just wouldn't function. So my brother was here and I had a friend down the road whose flat was very, very, very hot. And so I said, hey, do you want to just come around and we'll just play loads of Gloomhaven? We played loads of Gloomhaven. Then our friend left and uh, my brother was still staying at my house and we didn't have anything on. So we're just like, should we just keep playing Gloomhaven? And it basically, I think because there is a... a 
a real setup cost with Gloomhaven of it uh, getting it out. We just left it out on the table because we're like, well, we won't pack it away because we'll probably play some, we might play some tomorrow. But then because it's so compelling, we just kept playing it all the yeah. time. Yeah, my wife and I did the same thing with Pandemic Legacy Season 1 where it was on the table and then that meant every night we were just always looking at it so it was always in our minds. Yeah, yeah. well, we were just like kept thinking about it even when we weren't looking at it. We're like, ah, oh, thinking about that. And then we're like, should we play some? Yeah, sure. And it was the only thing consistently for the whole week that we both really wanted to do every time of being like, should we play some more Gloom? Yeah, let's do it. Matt, I have a question. Are you still a little rat lady? Have you... Yeah. Oh. I am. Um, although I'm pretty close to not being. Um, I, I think I've got to do like one more... Th- I'm, basically, at, at any point, I will transcend from being a rat lady. But you know what? I'm not bored of it. Like I'm still having a lovely time being a rat lady. Um, I think I've got up to like level six or seven. And each time you level up, you just get a couple of cards that you can add to your hand. And you, you, you know, roughly get more powerful... Um, but some of the stuff you can do later on is just bonkers fun. Oh, yeah. I can explode things with my mind now. <laughs> I just walk into the room and just go, and just like an enemy just dies immediately and then does damage like to everything around it. So let's talk a bit about, uh, you of course did the exhaustive half hour video review of Gloomhaven, yeah. which now, goodness gracious, it's up to like 700, 600,000 hits on YouTube. It's a game something. that really interests people um, yeah. because it's just the scope of it and people say it's good. And I think that's enough, really. It's like, this is a massive, big board undertaking. It's kind of like D&D for people who don't really feel in the mood for d- pretending to be characters. Yeah, it's <laughs> just know? crunching and levelling and crunching and levelling. But then it's not exactly, no, because there's story and there's uh, there's theme. And there's, yeah, of course. Yeah. There's actually a lot of character to it. Like, that's what's kind of mind-blowing, is you find yourself being like having a card and being like, what should we do in this situation? And I've, I've, as I've played more and more of it, you realize sometimes it's lovely because sometimes you think, I'm going to do this because it feels like what my character would do. And then on the back, it's like, oh, you get some special effects because because you're specifically playing that character. Uh, it's like, so the game kind of knows. It's like, yeah, that might be the sort of thing that that character would do. So my question was going to be, what it, having now played it for so long, like, is there a, sort of a, a new lens from which you've come to appreciate it? Is there something you didn't realise about it before? A bunch of things, actually. Um, I'm actually thinking quite seriously about making a kind of video about like things I'd things I wish I'd known about, or things I really kind of like a starter set for kind of if you want to play Gloomhaven, then here's some stuff you should know. Here's some stuff that's useful. Here's some stuff you might want to think about. And you know, if people have some extra thoughts about this stuff, then feel free to get in contact in the comments for this podcast and and uh, let me know what sort of stuff you'd be interested in. Um, but yeah, I, I, first and foremost, it's it's made me reminded me that it's like it's just a fabulous game i love it i love playing it um and it just doesn't get boring and i think the key thing with that is yeah when you level up and get new skills and stuff it's it's nice but it's not why you're playing it like you're playing it because the turn by turn combat loop is really fun and really satisfying and when everything clicks and you're working well as a team and it's all going beautifully it's just so so cool and also you do kind of get into the world and the characters so mainly I've realized it's amazing. Um, secondly, <laughs> I've realized that to play it for any meaningful amount of time without putting a lot of the components back in the box and uh, d- down- buying a couple of apps on an iPad or downloading or using a web browser for helpers is a bit like insane. Like Because we have a thing, when I reviewed Comet recently, a lot of people said, hey, why are you complaining about the fact you only get one little booklet of powers? just have you ever heard of a photocopier and for anybody listening at home who asked that question i have actually heard of photocopiers yeah i'm quite familiar with them but we've got to review what's in the box we've got to think about like what's the experience in the box and gloomhaven 
I perversely, as I talked about in the review, found a real satisfaction in in doing all of the fiddly admin of moving things around and basically being a human spreadsheet, uh, but with the uh, what they call the little math things with the pegs. Oh, abacus. abacus. Yeah, it's basically doing an Excel spreadsheet with an abacus. Hang on, is, as yeah. Ben and I answer that at the same time, we can have a high five. Abacus high five, the third one of the day. Abacus <laughs> good time. Abacus <laughs> good time. So yeah. I like that, but I could see why you wouldn't. But when you've got these apps, they take away a lot of the stuff, which is kind of rubbish. And that's really interesting. And I think I must have spent a tenner on apps now because I bought two for a fiver each. Don't regret it at all. Perfect. Brilliant. I'm probably going to get one of those little uh, uh, dividers made oh, out the, of um, laser stuff. The uh, custom-made box inserts. Yep, yep, yep. Don't they cost like 50, 60 quid? Yep, they do. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, I'm, I was going to buy one, but then I remembered uh, I met a guy at UK Games Expo who said, if you ever want one to look at them or whatever, then, so I'm going to get sent one and I will, I will, if it's good, I will, I will let people know. There's a confirmation there that Matt and I are living the dream. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like, I, I usually would think, no, I don't need one of those, but I thought, you know what, I'm trying to, cause it's such a beast, right? Gloomhaven is such a big beast. And even though I've played it now for probably about 80 or 90 hours, I maybe feel like I'm only halfway through the campaign. Maybe mm. if that, we still have, we've unlocked like one new character <laughs> um but i feel like we're going to unlock a bunch soon now but i'm interested in ways that it really can be streamlined by the community by like you know what happens if you have got a proper like inlay insert to organize it what happens if you are using an app and i'm using an app to like track the enemies uh, like decks and health and also a second app which allows you to basically type in the number of the mission and it allows you to set up each of the rooms in the dungeon without showing you what's in the rest of it, which is really neat. Being... That's always very satisfying. Yeah. When I DM in D&D, I used to give people, here's a map and where do you want to go? And now I just say, this is the room. room. Yeah. yeah. If you want a map, you'll have to draw one. Yep. Yeah. So it basically just does exactly the manual. It's such a simple idea for an app. It's literally just like, there's a PDF of the manual, but we've covered it with blocks that you have to tap on to make them go away. <laughs> so it's just like, I don't want to see that yet. Um, so that's really lovely. The final thing it's really taught me is it's just like, it's made to have fun with. So you can just like, I now know the rules for Gloomhaven in a way. Honestly, I thought I did before and I didn't. Um, and I'm sure I knew most of them when I reviewed it, to be honest, but it's just so many rules and they're so fiddly and there's so many very specific edge cases that because the core of the game um, and cycling through your deck of cards is so good and so fun. You can play that game and get a lot of rules wrong and still have basically as much fun. It doesn't matter. It doesn't get in the way of it. But when you really do know all of it, you know when you just fudge it. Like there was one mission in particular where it was like at the end of it, out of the blue, it's like, oh, everyone who was in this mission immediately gets this amazing reward. And I was like, whoa. But it made me feel like, oh, well, that sucks because I sometimes play this with my mate Laurie and he's not going to get that. And so I was like, hang on a minute, it's a book. It's like, I'm just going to be like, everyone I play this with from now on is going to get that reward. Oh, we did a mission earlier, it means you get this. Yeah, yeah, Because I'm just like, yeah, I'm not going to just... Yeah, so there's elements of that and it's a reminder that it's like, this is a system designed to allow you and your friends to have fun and it's like, if something doesn't seem fun... And it's like, you know, we're talking about the, in the last podcast, talking about like finales that aren't satisfying. Oh, yeah. That happens a lot in Gloomhaven sometimes if you're really close and you just don't quite do it. Because you don't get like cut down by a boss and then like, oh, no, they defeated us because they're too powerful. It's like you didn't manage to kill that skeleton this turn and you needed to. And so it's like there's four people in the room who didn't quite manage to kill one enemy. And it's like mission failed because you ran out of time. And the timer, it's a system that works and it's quite exciting when it works. But when it doesn't, you're just like, oh, we didn't do that mission so we have to do it again and sometimes you're like 
yeah, we did it. <laughs> and that's fine. It's like, if the idea of having to do the whole thing again just doesn't seem fun, just don't. Ta-da! I mean, it's the it's what we always say, is that the board game police, I mean, they're out there, but they probably won't find you. They probably won't. Just make sure that before you have that conversation with your friends about, should we just pretend that we did kill that skeleton um, and didn't miss that hit? Because then we There's can... There's not a narc in the room. Yeah, just close the blinds. Just speak in hushed tones. Mm, just, just be careful. Well, speaking of big boxes then, uh, you've also had a little poke of uh, Lords of Hellas, haven't you? Yeah, I have. I've been poking that a lot, actually. It's been on my table maybe three or four times uh, because I was just really interested in it. Um, I wrote it off for a long time just because you open up uh, the box and it has a very large model of a Greek lady with unrealistically positioned and weighted bosoms. And you think, oh, what are these games? That's the first thing you see when you open the box. Exactly. You just think, all right, it's a titty miniatures game. There's a market for this stuff. Fair enough. Um, As it it turns out, it isn't. And actually, most of the other miniatures are great. And they're just big, robotic, uh, Greek, mythological, mythological, cybernetic creatures, which is fun. I've been hearing this name for a long time. Matt, what is happening in Lords of Hellas? Uh, It's Greek war stuff, but with robots that's that's a direct quote from the back of the box it is that's what it says but it doesn't make sense because like all of the enemies in it are like big monstrous cybernetic cerberuses and hydras and all that stuff but then the map is just like old school greece countryside but every now and then you've got a motorway style bridge and you're like what's what's going on with this like they've got some really interesting ecological values of like yeah we're going to really mess up anything that like humans animals cybernetic as hell the countryside leave it alone like these are people who are like we campaign against wind farms but like will happily turn their dog into a laser firing machine <laughs> no no one wants robot grass though that's well why. apparently <laughs> yeah apparently not anyway um it's interesting um it's it's quite exciting in some places and every time i play it i like it kind of slightly less okay um it has that thing that Inish has of, of a horrible explanation in the fact that the game is actually quite easy to play, but you can win it in like four or five different ways. And then it's always that thing of halfway through the game, people going, sorry, can you explain, how do I win? You know, it has like too many win conditions in a way. Um, and it sort of feels like some of the win conditions in the game exist to, to kind of counter other ones in a way. Okay. You know? um, the most interesting thing about it is fighting monsters in it is really fun. Okay. Because it means that, like, basically you do a thing where, like, you go into a fight, and before, at the start of the fight, you then draw the cards, the majority of the cards that you will probably use in the fight. So it means you go into the fight, and you don't even really know if you're equipped for it or not. And then each time you stay in the fight, you have to then spend some of the cards in your hand to stay in the fight without being hurt badly. When when you've got three injuries, and all three of your stats have been nerfed with an injury, you get knocked out, and you're done. But effectively it's a push your luck thing of going oh, should i stay in one more round is it worth it is it worth it whilst the player to your left is a person who draws two cards from the monster attack deck and chooses the thing that they think is the most horrible and it's really fun because it's like it's it's properly like rolling the dice you don't know what's going to happen it's a thrill uh, another player gets to choose the specific flavor of misfortune that gets served on your plate um but because of that the the win criteria of kill three monsters ends up being the one that most people get most of the time because it's the most fun thing to do and also it's a thing to do whereby even if it looks quite unlikely that they're going to do it you've got no idea whereas the other win conditions say like you know hold two areas on the board and a traditional area control bit um you can see that happening that is like an absolute it's like well if we don't take that off them 
then they're going to they're going to win the game by right. This. Whereas this is a bit obfuscated. Yeah. Whereas it's like, well, Matt's about to go and punch a Griffin. Like I don't think Griffin's in it. He's going to go and punch <laughs> Medusa. Okay. Um, and he's probably going to die because he's not got any cards. And da, 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 da. but then I might just draw the cards exactly I need, and it's like, oh, I won the game. So that sounds infuriating. It kind of doesn't work, and it's interesting. I was talking about this. Uh, I briefly mentioned it in my video review of Comet and the expansions, and had some people say, oh, actually, no, it's not unbalanced, and the monster strategy. Only, doesn't really work and most people agree it's balanced because because you can stop people doing it and like it's almost like people arguing that like the monster strategy is very good which means players have to actively stop people from doing it immediately and it's like okay i, I get that but <laughs> it's like is this being you know it's like when something is balanced by the meta it's like how how good is that for when you're just playing a game one or two times with some friends around a table it's a strange thing. Yeah, if you've got five different win conditions and one is demonstrably better and the other four exist to stop that one being too good, then you've not balanced. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where every time I play it, I'm like, I can't tell, but it always seems to lean towards that. And I don't, I'm not entirely even sure if it is a balanced thing. I think it might be a fun thing because the other thing is like, I realized after playing it four times, I still didn't really know the rules for, for like combat, for like, my army fighting your army and that's partly because it's like a shopping list of things that add a plus one to your combat value and then but also it's just like fighting other people's armies isn't fun fighting monsters is fun but like getting into a war with someone else it's not fun players don't want to do it because it's not satisfying it's messy and so it's this weird game we've got like ancient cyber grease area control like, who's going to war? I don't know, probably no one. I might take that, but I mainly just want the temple. And it becomes this weirdly sexless bloodlust thing where, like, everyone's happy to go and kill the monsters. Especially because the monsters are these giant, bloody cool minis. And you do want to go and bash up a minotaur. So in that regard, it's really quite successful in my mind. If it feels like a game of area control and going and fighting big monsters and fighting the big epic creatures feels epic in a way that, like, the big creatures in Rising Sun was just rubbish. So it's interesting... But also it's a rod for its own back, I feel, because it's a game with one of these, it kind of has a laboriously slightly uh, randomised setup of being like, ah, but use this card or use one of these cards for this. So every time you set up, it's kind of like slightly different, but not really, kind of always plays in the same way. And there are four playable characters in the base game that all have a little power and all slightly change up the way you play, but not massively. And then the creatures, which do different things, etc. And it feels like a game a bit like Root, where it's like, the first few times you play it, it's really fun. The more you play it, the more you get to the, the grittiness of it, the more I think, actually, I don't know how, I don't think this is very good. And it would be so easy to make it a game where you'd be like, yeah, this is great, by just having like loads of playable characters, loads of monsters that can pop up. Like, and... They kind of can't do that because they've just gone so plastic heavy. That well, it's like, I mean, it, yeah. this, I believe, was a Kickstarter game. And like so many Kickstarter games, it's uh, you don't have the luxury when you're designing a Kickstarter game of just throwing away the rest of your game and keeping the mechanic that works really well. Because, yeah. you know, Lords of Hellas was sold as a million cool miniatures on a map, whereas yeah. actually what might have been great about the design isn't necessarily that. Um, but you did remind me of Root when you were talking about uh, the victory conditions thing, actually, because in Root, the very clear, you know, uh, victory point marker, you win if you hit 30 victory points. But that means if players have bad early turns, they lag on the victory point track. But to keep those players from being checked out, there is another win condition where if you control all four fox clearings or all four rabbit clearings, you can just win instantly. And so when I was complaining about 
uh, players being left behind in Veeps, in my root review, people would come and going, ah, but of course, that's why the other wind condition is there. And I engaged <laughs> a couple of these commenters. Yeah. Being, have you ever seen someone do that? And obviously, people have done it in the history of yeah. root. But yeah. those commenters are like, what about the other wind condition? When I say, have you ever seen anyone do it? They go, no. It's, it's what, uh, having played through it, it's the, the alternative wind condition is basically, hey, if you're losing, you just need to control a third of the board in territory control game. <laughs> and, and then you win. It's easy. And you better hope that other players don't notice you're doing that. Because yeah. if they do one of them will instantly stop you. Yeah. It just becomes a fascinating thing where like you've either got the control two areas or you've got like uh, control five different temples, I think, which basically means control areas. This but, is in Lords of Hell. Yes, yeah, but not in contiguous areas, just like control five specific areas on the board. And then the other one is if one of the big statues gets fully built and then you whoever is holding that statue at the end of three turns in that area is the winner again this is the thing with like the 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 big titty statue is just like you never see it it stays in the box because the it's so rare that you play a game that actually sees any one of these statues that get built up gradually throughout the game reaching beyond like ankles and knees i I was gonna say like breasticles aside the construction of these multi-stage huge statues on the board was the thing that caught my eye the most about lords of hell yeah it doesn't really happen like it the, the usually you'll have like two of them go about halfway. I think I've seen one being fully built like once in about four games. So and like yeah, so it's like it'll happen in twenty percent of games, twenty five percent of games, and then it will be one of the three things. So again, it's like you've got you've still got a similar problem to Rising Sun if you've got a lot of big chunks of plastic in a box that the game doesn't really use them. But yeah, so you have this situation whereby one only one of the mechanics is really, really fun to engage with. And it, it's just sort of, there's something about it which is slightly, sad is a too strong a word, but it's slightly melancholic about having people saying, you know, oh yeah, actually the game is balanced. It's just whenever you see people trying to fight the monsters, you just need to like basically, you know, cut their Achilles heels. You need to just stop them from doing that. And there are ways you can do that. And it's like, okay, I believe that's true. I believe there is a matter of Lords of Hellas games where they've realized that as long as you know that if people are doing that, you need to stop them from doing it. It does balance the game out and it all works quite well. But then it means you're just like purposely trying to stop players from doing the thing, which I think is like the only thing about the game, which is really fun and really solid of being like, no, don't let them do that. Don't let them do that. <laughs> when actually it's like most of the time, even though it kind of did it's a game that doesn't outstay its welcome, to be honest. Each, round, each game I've played usually doesn't last longer than an hour. Sometimes they're over very quickly. And up until the point where you go, oh, oh, they won. Watching people fight monsters is just quite fun. But yeah, I would have loved it to see a, a little bit more of a scaled down version of the game about being like, who could be the best Greek hero? Going on quests in this game, I should point out, this is like, there's so many ideas and it's just an unbelievably damp squib. There's an area on the board where there's a quest. You need to have the criteria of certain stats to go on the quest. When you go on the quest, your character, your hero character, then just disappears for uh, up, upwards of one, one to three turns, and they're just off doing the quest. And then when they've done the quest, you get a reward, which might be like two hoplites, two so little it, army people. It's not like going on a quest. It's like being Penelope sat at home just waiting for Ulysses to come back, basically, and just going, oh, I wonder what he's up to. <laughs> Yeah, I thought you were talking about, I thought you can say being Penelope waiting for the Thunderbirds to come back because I'm uncultured. <laughs> um, There's two levels this podcast is occurring. Yeah, on. I'm on a, I'm on a lowbrow tree, but that's fine. But yeah, it's it's weird. It's like you, you're technically going on an epic quest, but in reality it feels like a sitcom where a character is said to have gone on holiday, but actually just, you know, like, oh, they, oh yeah, Danny went to prison. It's like, no, they just couldn't make it for a season or something, you know, disappear and then just arrive back and they're like, hey, what happened? Hey, I got this golden sheep skin cool 
So Lords of Hellas out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a that was That's me a being joke. facetious. I yeah. mean, I, I'm basically I'm at the point now where I feel like I've played so much of it, and it is a very popular game still. I, there's some really cool things about it. It just doesn't quite hang together, and I'm I'm wondering if there's a way it can be cobbled together via other boxes and special nails. <laughs> I feel like we've been unusually negative on this podcast. So I'm going to do two minutes on Cerberus, then talk about an unexpected game that I've been having more fun with. Uh, but so spoiler warning, you're probably not going to be positive about Cerberus. Then. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you think that? No, uh, Cerberus is an interesting game that came out from uh, France. That's the extent. Country. <laughs> yes, that's the extent Inventor of what I can remember. of dogs. Uh, as this is a well-researched uh, segment I'm doing here. Um, it is a sort of party-ish game for like three to seven players. You've done some kind of uh, raid on, like a sort of panty raid into the underworld. Like, because the character cards depict you being like modern explorers or one of you looks a bit villainous, one of you's a dog. But you've run into the underworld and now you're running back out. That's when the game begins. You've got a sort of uh, a track of stones to get out of Hades, but Cerberus is always moving forward. Um, players have to play cards that always give you a choice. Either it's something that only benefits you a bit or benefits you even less, but benefits other players more. So on my turn, I might say, Matt, look, I'm going to move you. I'm going to move Ben. And then I'm not going to move. But on your turn, you'll play the same card and move me, right? And then it gets to Matt's turn and Matt goes, no, I'm moving myself even more. And I go, what? And then we've now played enough cards that Cerberus moves and I get eaten. But here's the catch. The first players eaten by Cerberus, not all of you, but the first ones keep playing and play cards to move Cerberus to pull other players back. It's a whole push and pull thing. Uh, this is where I would sort of circle the fact that I didn't like it, but I want to move on to something more fun. Didn't particularly like Cerberus. Um, the, we played it twice uh, in two styles. The first of which was playing it sort of naturally, which involved a lot of talking. A lot of just exchanging, well, if you, you didn't move me last turn, so why? Which for a game when you're running away from a dog from hell didn't feel particularly so like, Can we please have this conversation later, Barbara? Yeah, exactly. And that, so that turned the game into like an hour and a half long uh, parental bickering thing. Um, so that wasn't great. But then I thought, hey, hey, what if we play this game thematically and like play it with a timer? There's no talking allowed because your turn can be no longer than 20 seconds. It's just play a card, go. Uh, that was also uh, tremendously unsatisfying. So, <laughs> so um, I'm going to move on to something that's quite good that I think we'll see a little glimmer of interest in Matt's eye. I played the expansion to Bunny Kingdom. Mm, Matt's eyebrows that. just uh, flew up to the ceiling yeah, there. Yeah, I've, I've caught most of them, I think. No, I saw that on Instagram. If you don't know, you can follow Shut Up and Sit Down on Instagram. What was that website, Matt? Instagram. What? It's what? short for instant gram and it's a website full of photographs um, most of them are tinged with a slightly orange and pink effect and um yeah it's very pleasant and it's fun because we've got a, an instagram for shut up and sit down and i sometimes post instagram photos of what i'm playing and sometimes quinn's does that as well but it means sometimes we haven't spoken for a day or two and he'll be like oh you're playing that and i'll be like oh he's playing that and uh, yeah, you know, Matt, you know, I saw that and I was like, you're playing Bunny Kingdoms with Chris Pratt. I and we play played that. Bunny Kingdoms. At the Gathering and, of Friends. And I was like, I really like this. And you were like, eh, it's all right. And then to rub salt <laughs> into my wounds, you're over there playing 
playing bunny kingdoms again like nothing happened you know what matt i don't regret it i had so many bunnies <sighs> some would say a kingdom of bunnies uh so I, we've we must have talked about this game on a previous podcast i'm sure then. we did i think i think you were like ah it's okay and so, i was like i like it well so i wanted to play the expansion uh because i really like expansions i like the art of bunny kingdom and the idea that they extended the world um the 22nd picture of Bunny Kingdom, if you're not aware, it's a drafting game where you're drafting grid references and you put a bunny on a grid reference. Hopefully you're getting uh, contiguous bits of territory as the board fills up with bunnies. And what you want is territories that contain uh, towns uh, and rare resources because you're going to multiply the number of towns with the number of resources in every bunny fiefdom. Bunny battleship bingo. Uh, let's go with that. But the expansion is one of the most creative and lovely things I've ever seen. So already Bunny Kingdom was quite an inventive world, right? Because it's, rather than, you know, settling cities, it's bunnies. They're farming carrots, they're, you know, collecting pearls. It's all very twee. The expansion turns the tweeness so high that it cracks a smile even on my face. So the expansion is called Bunny Kingdom in the Sky. It adds a secondary board, which is the bunnies building cities in a cloud. What resources can you get in clouds? Well, you can get ice cream, you can get uh, coloured jelly, you can get uh, unicorns, and it even adds uh, chocobos from Final Fantasy as a resource you can get on the main board. What? They're like chocobos with the serial numbers filed off. But okay, yeah. right, fine. Um, not that you could do that to a chocobo. That's <laughs> yeah. Well, it'd be fine if they're on the claws. Let's not get into it. Uh, yeah, so this adds uh, essentially yet more cards. It makes the game longer. It makes it, um, it, because there's just more territory to fill up. But how the clouds work is is absolutely fascinating if you're a, a, a math dweeb like me. Or Richard Garfield, inventor of Bunny Kingdom. Let's not forget, Bunny Kingdom was invented by the guy who made Magic the Gathering. So the unlike the main board, which is pretty straightforward in trying to create blocks of bunnies with the correct resources, the cloud board is bizarre because it's full of all these magical resources which would create unbelievable scores if you were playing just on the base game. But you can't get things off the clouds onto the main board. So you're trying to connect up sort of cloud settlements which are worthless and then use chimneys and rainbows and skyships to get those resources back down to the main board where all your bunnies are. It's got more of the fabulous art that we loved so much in the base game, but even like leaning so heavily into what made the game special in the first place. So first off, the theme is even better with the expansion. Second off, the game is that much richer and more complicated. And third off, Matt, in that Instagram, I wasn't playing Bunny Kingdom in the Skies. I'd hacked the game to make my own version of Bunny Kingdom. So what? So no, check this out. So we, we never normally do this on Shut Up and Sit Down, but I changed some of the rules because everyone I know, including us in that past podcast, complains about the same thing in Bunny Kingdom, which is which ties into what we caught, talked about at the end of the last podcast, where, uh, you know, games that end with a lot of scoring. Right, The yeah. thing everyone hates, including us about Bunny Kingdom, is that at the end of a game, you reveal all of these hidden scoring cards, and then you go, oh, I scored 200 points during the game, but I've got another 150 points based on these cards that you didn't know I had. Right. It's tons of admin. Yeah, so you just get rid of them. I didn't get rid of them. I got rid of 20% of them. Um, so the game had, had like 80% of the end game scoring. More importantly, I got rid of the 20% that were the hardest and slowest account. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I gotta say, I certainly didn't feel that, you know, they, I, I'd missed them. I, I, I enjoyed the game much more. So in addition to loving the expansion, I just love playing with the, without the most tedious end game scoring cards. If there's a reason that breaks the game that I haven't figured out, do leave a comment, but I had a really good time with Bunny Kingdom and in the nobody sky. Nobody can break the fact that you had a good time. No, they can't take that away. You, no. you can tell me they that try. I did it wrong. They can really try. They can try so hard. They're not going to succeed. They just can't. 
I, so what Quinns is saying basically, Matt, is not only did he play a game you love without you and an expansion without you, he also tried to make the game more fun <laughs> without you. Oh, it's just deeply upsetting. The we, layers. I mean, oh God. I mean, I, I do love that idea of theme though. It's very, um, it's very Jack and the Beanstalk, isn't it? Like one of the new resources on the board is beans from yeah, a giant beanstalk. The, the, the idea of being like, you're not going to believe it up there. There's unbelievable riches, but good luck getting them back down alive. It's it's really and nice. If they do, it'll make you unhappy. Also, it uses a mechanic that's. Uh, I mean, this is now deep into Bunny Kingdom lore, but Bunny Kingdom spaces can only have one building on them, whereas the clouds start with a bunch of... All the new special resources like ice cream and magic beans uh, are actually a token on the clouds, which is unusual for Bunny Kingdom. What it means is you can't build on the clouds, because guess what? Clouds aren't a particularly firm foundation, which means you're more beholden to the draft... I feel like talking about an expansion for a game we only talked about like multiple years ago is going to be somewhat impenetrable for our audience. But I will just tease. If you like the sound of this, if you like the sound of a sort of drafting city building game full of bunnies and fabulous uh, uh, chocobos and beanstalks, then I think I'm going to do some coverage on Shut Up and Sit Down. On the website. On the website. website. I mean, yeah, I thought that Bunny Kingdom was quite wonderful. It's definitely like it wasn't quite for us you know i think i think when we played it uh, for context the night before for the first time we played brass birmingham Uh, (laughs) so we maybe weren't in the mood but it definitely was something that was like fun and probably meaty if you're you know family with some kids but like for us we were like that's not quite enough but it sounds like clouds have added just enough substance unbelievably yeah uh, that's it to interest mr smith that. that that was funny that was that's a funny just a little, just was, a little it's always the reaction you want isn't it no laughter yeah, just, just that was funny, was a funny well, joke. the joke was done well done that's a funny I have to shoot up and catch a train but before I do that Matt do you want to tease your Silk review uh, okay yeah uh, you can check out my review of Silk on shutupandsitdown.com or on our YouTube channel uh, it's not a game that most people are going to be talking about or looking about it's a niche little thing it's a very small box you have a grid of things have little silkworms that move around on it and it's basically an abstract uh, economic farming worker placement thing but but for an abstract game that looks pretty that we've talked about on the podcast you can now see it in glorious video technicolor you can and it's worth a look it's one of these games where honestly i'm not gonna lie it's not amazing it's not like you gotta get this game but it's interesting it does tick some boxes and i think it serves a purpose in a bunch of people's collections so it's worth having a look at the video and seeing why Wow, that was lovely. That's been the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. Bit of a rushed episode, but hey, trains wait for no man except my Uncle Adam, uh, who who can bones all the trains. He drives trains, though, doesn't he? Uh, yes, he does, yeah. So sometimes they wait to him to the detriment of everyone else, frankly. Yeah, that's 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 where we're at. Ben, thank you very much for joining us thank once again. Thank you once again for having me. And Matthew Lees, thank you very much for joining me. It's all right. Is anyone going to thank me? Nah. Thank you for, for coming. Well, Matt, I have a short prepared statement I'd like to say. <laughs> thank you very much for listening to Shut, shut Up, Shut Up. Bye. 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 <laughs>